planet's on fire It's a real code red Got us by the balls for being slow bled All the swollen puppet head Propagandized Big chocolate points Flat outlines A house full of mirrors It's a lousy reflection Run hard left It's a true direction Democracy's in trouble This news is a fake Everything we fought for was truly at stake Border to border, coast to coast It's time to cue the talent and meet our hopes It's a podcast by George All right, folks, it's showtime Hello, hi, how are you? Welcome on in to another podcast by George. Well, I'm happy to be able to get him back. It's Paul Jace coming on the podcast by George Liveline. We're doing a recording here to get this straight, get it right. We had some technical difficulties on the internet in the previous show, but uh, I'm sure this is going to be good, and you're going to like this because this guy's on top of it. He's all over it. He's an authority, and for folks that may not know, Paul Jay is a journalist and filmmaker. He's the founder and host of the Analysis.News, a video and audio current affairs interview and commentary show and website. Uh, Paul's films have won numerous awards at major festivals around the world. He's the past chair of the Documentary Organization of Canada and was the founding chair of the Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival. And, of course, I, you know me, I'm a hockey guy, so i got to love Canadians, folks. Jay was the uh, co-creator and co-executive producer a face-off and counterspin up there, a nightly primetime debate program that ran for 10 years on CBC News World. And, of course, he was the founder of the Real News Network based in Baltimore. I think that's where he spends most of his time now. And he's currently working on no, a... No, no, no. Okay. Oh, you're in Toronto. Okay, great. Uh, he's currently working on a documentary series with uh, Daniel Ellsberg based on Ellsberg's book, the Doomsday Machine. He's doing um, a documentary, a movie on a guy that I consider to be an, uh, an American legend. I mean, a, a real hero uh, in many ways, Daniel Ellsberg. And it's all about his work with something called the Doomsday Machine. And this is a, a long, laborious work in progress that Paul's involved in. And Paul, if you could just, just update us on how the doc's going. Uh, we're still in early stages. Uh, I've done about uh, maybe 20 days of interviewing with Dan. Uh, this is based on his book, uh, Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. And as I guess most of your listeners or viewers know, uh, Dan released the Pentagon Papers. Yes. Uh, but before he worked for uh, the Pentagon in Vietnam, where he was helping develop the plans for the war in Vietnam and had access to all the all these secret papers that he released, in order to help stop the war. Uh, before that, he worked for Rand Corporation as a nuclear war planner. Literally, the Rand Corporation was contracted by uh, mostly the Air Force, uh, and Dan was part of the team that advised them on how to wage and when to wage nuclear war yeah. and issues connected to it. And, and so his book, and, and maybe even more so the, this documentary series, is about the transformation of Ellsberg from a very committed cold warrior who really did believe uh, the Soviet Union 
was an, was another type of Hitlerite country, meaning uh, a totalitarian regime trying to seek global domination. And he he was continuing that fight. He'd been a Marine himself. Um, and then he starts to discover that the Cold War is based on several, maybe more, but several big lies. And, and he starts it starts to transform him from a very passionate cold warrior uh, who, you know, leads him to what happened in Vietnam where he releases the Pentagon Papers and then becomes a, an, an anti-war activist and a, and a very big critic of U.S. foreign policy, war policy, but particularly uh, on nuclear weapons uh, issues because he believes, and he's certainly not the only one, um, it's as dangerous now. The possibility of nuclear war is as dangerous now as it's ever been. And, you know, uh, you know the, there were a few key moments like the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1958 in Taiwan uh, with China, 1983, the f false f reading of uh, incoming flights by the uh, Soviets who one guy decides not to tell uh, the Soviet president otherwise we probably wouldn't be here talking. Uh, but the conflict both with Russia and Ukraine and with China over Taiwan, uh, Ellsberg thinks that we're heading into as dangerous territory as we have ever been. I want you to talk just briefly about the uh, parallels between Daniel Ellsberg and the situation with Julian Assange. Uh, you know, Assange is rotting in that uh, jail in London, and Ellsberg, as I understand it, they were going to jail him. I mean, he was headed not in a good place, but some kind of a quirk in the law or something allowed him to escape uh, because he was going to be imprisoned. And to clarify again for the viewers, um, Ellsberg was not a publisher. He was more of a leaker. He was the guy that had access to these Pentagon Papers because of his work at the Rand Corporation. He brought them to the publishers like the New York Times and the Washington Post the Pentagon Papers got out there, had a lot to do with ending that war maybe earlier than it would have been, but they weren't finished with him. They were going to stick him in prison if they could, right? Yeah, what happened is uh, he was charged, uh, I believe, under the Espionage Act. Yes. Uh, and he, 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 he definitely did leak. What he did was illegal. Uh, you know, his argument was the war was far more illegal, the war in Vietnam. Um, based on a lie, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, that the, this American ship that was supposedly blown up by the North Vietnamese, that turned out to be another lie. Yes. Um, but uh, they did charge him, and the trial began. And it, in the course of the trial, it, it was discovered that Nixon, President Nixon, had ordered the plumber's team that was to do Watergate to break into Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. And it, when the defense, Ellsberg defense found out about that and told the judge that this is an abuse of prosecutorial power, uh, the judge agreed and threw the case out. Uh, and in fact, that helped lead to the whole Watergate scandal, which helped lead to the downfall of Nixon. Uh, so in that way, uh, the release of the Pentagon Papers ended the war earlier because it, it eventually brought down uh, Nixon. 
Well, Paul and I could talk forever, and I have a tendency to digress, but the connection with Assange, the similarities, the parallels there, um, Ellsberg has gone on record saying the cases are, I don't know, maybe virtually identical. I mean, they're different. But well, I, I would say they're not. They're not identical, and in some yeah. ways the Assange case is a more serious threat uh, to journalism yes. than Dan's case was. Uh, well, when Dan released the papers, the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, initially, the Nixon administration did get injunctions to try to stop them from publishing. But Dan and the people supporting him, uh, which included Gara Perv, uh, Perv it's a people may know him, uh, they came up with a smart plan, which is they, came, they, they uh, photocopied something like 15 copies of these hundreds and hundreds of pages. A page at a time. It, <laughs> and gave it to about 14, 15 newspapers. And so they, you know, they would slap an injunction on, you know, the, the Times and then the Post would publish or the other way around. I can't remember. And then if they tried to do an injunction on then one of the other papers started to publish and then another paper started to publish. Uh, that was back in the day where newspapers actually would defy the government in this way. I, I, I don't know if that would happen now, especially since 9-11. There's a lot of changes have taken place in, in American newsrooms. Uh, but the, but the, the prosecution, I would call persecution of Assange, is against a publisher, not a leaker. Uh, you know, Chelsea Manning knowingly broke the law and did it because, you know, she felt it had to be done. And, and, and she was right and she was willing to pay the price, make the sacrifice. Uh, Dan's the same thing. Dan fully expected to go to jail and knew he was doing something illegal. But ending the war in Vietnam was more important. You know, he, as you say, it was almost a quirk that he didn't go to jail. But Assange is not a leaker. Assange is a publisher. Yes. And Ob the Obama administration was not going to prosecute Assange because apparently they said to themselves, if we prosecute Assange, then don't we have to prosecute the New York Times, the Post, McClatchy, all the papers that actually publish the stuff in association with WikiLeaks? So they didn't pursue it. Uh, Trump restarted the case against Assange. And as we know now, uh, with Pompeo, they were even talking about ways to kidnap and assassinate Assange. Yes. Um, and, uh, and Biden has continued the uh, attempt to extradite Assange from England, uh, even though it was his own administration with Obama that came to the conclusion that this would actually be an attack on press freedom more generally, and they're continuing it anyway. Um, so, so in some ways, I think the prosecution of Assange is actually more serious than the prosecution uh, of Ellsberg, although Ellsberg certainly was willing to make you know, the sacrifice of spending the rest of his life in jail and, and would have if, if it wasn't for the weird set of circumstances. Well, as I mentioned at the onset, I mean, Paul's a real journalist. I mean, he's a working journalist. And this Assange situation is the biggest threat to uh, modern journalism in our lifetime. So it's something that we could talk about all during this podcast. I want to move off of it here eventually. But I'm going to bring up on screen the front page of this morning's New York Times, Paul. And they've, they've got front page coverage of uh, this drone attack on these civilians in Syria. Now, the New York Times is all over that. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, what the hell? They've, I mean, they want you to believe, and it's a big part of it, obviously, that the reason they're pursuing Assange is for releasing that drone attack, or not drone, a helicopter attack, that Apache helicopter attack in Baghdad uh, that resulted in the deaths of civilians. 
And that makes me believe in this house of mirrors that we live in, Paul, that there's more to them chasing Assange than just that. I think it goes much deeper than that. Because how the hell can New York Times have this on their front page and Assange be sitting in a prison in London? Well, I mean, I'd answer a couple of ways. I think, one, uh, Assange didn't just release the footage of Chelsea Manning's footage of the uh, helicopters killing the people in uh, Iraq. Um, a lot, I think a lot of this has to do as well, not, not that that wasn't significant, all the Manning stuff, but also the uh, release of the uh, Hillary Clinton's emails. And, you know, they started getting, the stuff that was getting out yes. was starting to really threaten uh, the deep state. I use the word deep state. Uh, I know some people say it's a Trumpism. It certainly isn't. It just means the professional state, uh, which is deep. (laughs) The professional state's deep. And there's a lot of different intelligence agencies that all operate at the same time. But the – what Assange did that's different what the Times is doing uh, is that he got access through leakers to thousands and thousands of documents, whether it was Chelsea's or Hillary's emails. And it starts to expose the system of lying that permeates U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the American state, the, uh, you know, Gore Vidal called it, the na- and others have called it the national security state, which emerged after World War II. Um, and this essentially gets established by Truman. And to a large extent, it's and this is something Ellsberg says, uh, to do with the nuclear war and the military-industrial complex, to a large extent, it's based on the uh, need to juice up not just American power, but American military spending. And a lot of lies are necessary to juice up the spending. So, for example, uh, when Kennedy ran in, in, you know, in 1960, one of his big planks was that there's a missile gap between the Soviet Union and the United States. And the STRATCOM, the, uh, the American Air Force, was telling the world and telling Kennedy that the Soviet Union had 1,000 ICBMs uh, and that they were in all likelihood preparing a first strike otherwise against the United States. Otherwise, why have a 1,000 ICBMs when the United States at the time perhaps had maybe 40? Uh, Some say it could have been 200, but I think the number normally, it may have been only 40 or 50. And Kennedy and and the Air Force and uh, others, of course, in in the companies that were going to manufacture all the, the ICBMs were screaming that there has to be this massive push to build ICBMs. Anyway, to make a long story short, Ellsberg's in the cafeteria at the Pentagon one day sitting with his friend who says, have you seen the new uh, satellite pictures? Uh, They figured out how many ICBMs the Soviet Union has. And he said, how many? He says, says, you're not going to believe it. He says, it's not a thousand. It's four. Four. The Air Force were counting grain silos and calling oh missile silos. Like it was, it was a total piece of bullshit. 
But not only did that mean that there was no need to build a thousand ICBMs, it was an incredible opportunity to say to the Soviet Union, well, we know you've only got four, so we'll reduce our numbers and let's stay, you know, under 10 each. It's enough to be a deterrent, but it's also a manageable amount. So this thing doesn't spiral out of control. Well, of course, that isn't what happened. Uh, yeah. And this is where Ellsberg makes a confession. He actually recommends to Kennedy letting Khrushchev know through a speech a general's going to give that the Americans had figured out the real number because Khrushchev was bluffing. He was saying there was parity. Maybe the number was 200, and Khrushchev was claiming to have 200. So, but instead of using this as an opportunity to avoid a nuclear arms race, they uh, let Khrushchev know that they know, and they start to threaten over, uh, East, over Berlin. You know, it was a fight over East and West Berlin at the time and whether the Americans are going to be able to send their troops into West Berlin. Uh, so one of Khrushchev's responses is, well, okay, fine. Now you know we don't have ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles. So you're right. We don't have a ton of missiles we can throw at you from here. Whereas you have tons in Europe you can throw at us and you've got what you have on American soil. Uh, so that's one of the reasons Khrushchev sends uh, nuclear missiles to Cuba. Uh, now, they're mostly def they're defensive, but, but there's something. Uh, so th the bottom line here is that this lie of the missile gap, it's just one of many, many lies that support this military-industrial complex and the uh, war policies f go through the various wars, virtually every one, and, you know, including most recently Iraq, which is an enormous lie about weapons of mass destruction. Well, what, what Julian was doing by creating a platform for leakers like Chelsea, a place that could really uh, expose at the very heart of the national security state, stuff that they didn't want exposed, at least not with their own documents this way. There's a big difference between, you know, people who kind of know and say, uh -huh. and, you know, they're insiders. But when you got the documents, it, it's, it carries more weight. So, what, so what, what WikiLeaks was doing was a real threat to this whole systemic lying of the American national security state. So, just, so why are they going after him? When the logic was under the Obama administration, well, if we go after him, that means we have to go after the Times and the Post and whatever. Well, maybe that's why they're doing it now, is they want the Times and the Post and others uh, to be concerned about working with people like Assange. I never considered that angle very much. And that's the chilling effect that journalists are so worried about. And God, this is just listening to Paul. This is why I love uh, his podcast, love his show and his perspective. I mean, he's a great journalist, but he puts it in a historical perspective like I think no one else does. And that movie's coming out. This is going to be all about uh, Daniel Ellsberg and this doomsday machine. This is not going to be Tom Hanks <laughs> and, you know, that thing that we saw called The Post or whatever. This is going to be real truth. I mean, I'm going to be front row and center for that. I, I just can't wait for that uh, documentary to come out. But we're going to leave it there for right now. We're going to come back with Paul, and that'll be in the next episode coming up. And make sure you don't miss that one, because this is great. But this is the end of this particular segment.